Wholesaling is basically you put a deal under contract, you find a buyer, and you pass it on to that buyer. Well, most people do that with houses. But when you do that with houses, you still need to estimate repairs. You still need to go see the property. You typically need to meet with the sellers and convince them to sell the property to you. Well, we do the exact same thing, partly the exact same things on land, except for with land, we never have to go see the property. We never have to go inspect the property. We does no repairs on the property. So it's a complete virtual model that uh, allows us to do deals from home. But at the same time, when we buy something for 15 cents on a dollar, it allows us to sell these properties at half price and still as a wholesale deal to apply the exact same strategies that the house wholesalers use, basically without ever seeing the property though, and without ever touching the property and make the same money or more money than the house flippers make with much less effort. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors, and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Jack Bosch. Jack is known as the land guy and has been buying and selling lots and unimproved land since 2002. In this episode, Jack will tell us how land flipping works and how you can get started investing in this niche asset class with very little risk. If you're interested in trying a non-traditional real estate investing method, then you need to listen to this episode. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday, and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years, and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy! Okay, Jack, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. All right. Hi, my name is Jack Bosch, and I invest in an asset class that most people completely overlook, which is land. So we flip land like other people flip houses, just without the houses on there, and which makes really the process much simpler. So I've been originally an immigrant from Germany, came over to this country a little over 20 years ago, and for the last 18 years, I've been flipping land and have been doing over 4,000 deals. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm very excited to have you on because I've never had anyone on my show who does land investing. And I'm very excited to see how the whole process works. So can you give us a breakdown on what you do and how does land investing work? All right, absolutely. I'll be happy to do that. So first of all, think of, have you heard of the, I mean, you have heard of the concept, I'm sure you have done that probably also, wholesaling, right? So wholesaling is basically you put a deal under contract, you find a buyer and you pass it on to that buyer. Well, most people do that with houses, but when you do that with houses, you still need to estimate repairs. You still need to go see the property. You typically need to meet with a seller, sit down with them on a kitchen table and convince them to sell the property to you. It's like haggling over every dollar, potentially. You have to then, as I said, estimate repairs. You have to arrange for potential buyers to go look at the house, et cetera, et cetera. And then you sell the deal but when you sell the deal, you do it in a way that you either just assign it or that you, you don't buy it yourself, you just assign it or you do double closing and so on. Well, we do the exact same thing, partly the exact same things on land, except for with land, we never have to go see the property. 
We never have to go inspect the property. We do no repairs on the property. We specifically focus on properties that are below, let's say, $100,000 or $200,000. And with those properties, we can get up to 95%. So we typically buy properties for 5 to $0.25 cents on a dollar. And when we do that, we, we do everything from home. It's 100% virtual. We never meet the sellers. We never meet the buyers. We buy these properties via direct mail, basically. We make our offers via direct mail. We talk to the sellers on the phone or call center does that for us. And on the selling side, we use websites like Zillow and Landwatch and Facebook to sell these properties. So it's a complete virtual model that uh, allows us to do deals from home. But at the same time, when we buy something for 15 cents on a dollar, it allows us to sell these properties at half price and still as a wholesale deal to apply the exact same strategies that the house wholesalers use, basically without ever seeing the property, though, and without ever touching the property and make the same money or more money than the house flippers make with much less effort. Yeah, much less risk as well. And 100% less risk because even if you end up buying the properties, like when we started out, we ended up buying the first property for $400, but it was worth eight to $10,000. So we sold it for $4,000 to the neighbor literally the same day that we bought it. And then the next property we bought for $500 and it was worth about $15,000, 15 to 20, and we sold it for $10,000. And again, there's literally, I mean, how much risk is there if you buy something at like five cents on the dollar? It's like the worst case scenario is that somebody offers you 10 cents on the dollar, right? And you still double your money. So there's really no risk involved whatsoever. So that's what we do on the land side. And we sell these properties actually in two ways. Way number one is the wholesaling, as I just mentioned. But the other way is even more fun, for me at least, which is we sell them with owner financing or seller financing. In other words, we sell the property and say there's a $30,000 piece of property that we put under contract to purchase for $3,000. Then we turn around and we sell it for $30,000 with seller financing with a $4,000 down payment or $5,000 down payment, which is less than 20% down with a $5,000 down payment and monthly payments of $500 for the next eight years or six to eight years. So in that scenario, we actually get more as a down payment then we actually pay for the property. So we can actually buy the property, pay $30,000 in closing fee, get $5,000 back, and now have $1,000 already in our extra in our pocket. No money out of pocket plus $1,000 in our pocket. And now we get $500-$600 a month, which in many markets is the equivalent of a decent rental property. Now, I know there's rental properties in the Bay Area where they charge $5,000 in rent or whatever it is. So, And if you bought this property 50 years ago, you're cash flowing $5,000 a month. But the most of middle America, if they're buying a $150,000 house, they're cash flowing about 500 bucks on these properties, three to $500. So this provides the exact same cash flow as houses do, except for you're no longer responsible for it because there's no midnight move outs, there's no repairs, because it's really not rent, it's seller financing cash flow that goes on for longer. Plus, if you want to, you can even take that mortgage that you created and even sell it, take, sell that note to somebody else. So there's all these different exit strategies without really any risk and without really any seeing anything or touching anything or buying anything. Yeah. And who are the typical buyers for these land properties? The typical buyers are typically four kind of people. And it depends on the kind of property that we focus on. So I can answer this question actually perhaps in two parts. Part one is what kind of properties do we focus on? And then right with the property, I tell you what kind of buyers buy those individual properties. So the first kind of property that we focus on is infill lots. 
Infill lots are, right, basically think of a street, 35 houses, one empty lot that still needs to be filled in with a house, and that's why we call it infill lot. So infill lots are typically attractive to two kind of buyers. Number one, these are builders and home builders that if it's a good deal, because you can buy them again, you're getting them for 25 cents on a dollar, you're flipping them for 60 cents on a dollar, they're buying these properties almost no matter what the market conditions are because they just make an extra $50,000, $100,000 on the deal in equity. There, That just makes their deal sweeter down the road when they built the house. The second kind of buyer is what we call a financial buyer. Financial buyer is somebody that might buy the, buy the property because let's say if it's a gentrifying area, an up-and-coming area, they buy this lot right now. Let's say it's a $100,000 lot. You put it on a contract for $30,000, sell it for sixty. They buy it because, number one, it's a good financial deal, but also because the area is coming up. And therefore, in that process, they sit on it. They don't develop it. They basically just sit on it and let the price go up over time further. And that is a very, very lucrative model. It's basically like buying a stock and then letting it appreciate over time. It's the same thing. You buy a lot in an area that's appreciating. You hold it for 10 years and that $100,000 lot is now a $300,000 lot and beats any of the best stock market returns. So the second kind of property we focus is, is properties, right, as we call it, in the path of growth. So that's right, let's say, the half an hour drive or a 45-minute drive right outside of a city. Usually larger cities starting at a few hundred thousand people and more. Cities are growing, like growing cities. And you want to be ahead of that growth, outside of that. And let's say if you have an hour out of the city, you're not in the immediate development area, but at the same time, you're in an area that is very interesting for one kind of buyer, and that is the future retiree. We're literally moving towards a scenario in this country where I think it's 75 million baby boomers are turning, I think the number is 65 or 75 million baby boomers are turning 65 at the rate of, I think, 10,000 a day or something like that. So unfortunately, though, almost all of these or the vast majority of these baby boomers have not saved enough during their lifetime. So what happens is they are realizing very soon that they can no longer afford, we're seeing buyers coming up to us all the time, they're starting to realize that they potentially, if they retire in five to 10 years from now, that they won't be able to live the same lifestyle that they are right now. So they want to move. They realize if they want to be close to the city and the amenities and the hospitals and the restaurants and the grocery stores, they want to move uh, out somewhat of the city. So if they move 20 minutes out, that two-acre lot that's outside of the city at that level costs perhaps $50,000. That lot is a $500,000 lot in the city. They can't afford that. They can't afford their Bay Area million-dollar little shack anymore. They can't afford their even Phoenix, Arizona, where I live. The starting home right now is at $350,000 or so. So they can't afford those houses anymore. So what they're looking for is something that they can pay off over time with seller financing, or if they have the cash, they pay it off cash. But then once they're ready to retire, they can either build a small house there or put a mobile home on there and then have a life of dignity on a free and clear lot with a free and clear mobile home where they can now, let's say if they make $2,000 in social security, they can actually live on that. So those guys, they need a little bit more financing, but there's millions of them 
that are looking for a place that they can be just like 20, 30, 15 minutes outside of town, where if they need to go buy groceries, they're right there, 15, 20 minutes. If they need to go and to the medical doctor, they're right there. The restaurants are there. The ballpark is there. All this kind of stuff. So they're living a lower cost lifestyle, but they don't want to live in the middle of nowhere. Right? They don't want to live in a little town with 300 people. So they want to live close to the city. So there's are a lot of buyers from that end. And of course, it also includes just families that are just want to have more space, right? We're just going through or gone through this, this pandemic right now where people were for weeks are still stuck in their houses and in their condos and their apartments. Potentially, they just don't want to be in that situation anymore. So as a matter of fact, in the month of March and April, right now, the interest in land outside of the cities has literally skyrocketed because people want more space. Number one, to be away from any kind of viruses, but number two, because they just enjoy, started to appreciate the space and how beautiful it is to have space, right? So I know my, we, a year ago, we moved from our beautiful home that we had to an even better home on an acre. I mean, we have been also quarantined for March and April, basically, but we have been roaming around our house all day long. We have a playground in the garden. We have a pool in the garden. We get to jump around. We get to have run around and so on without having to be worried about that. And that's what people want. If you live on a 5,000 square foot lot, which just is like a patio home or a condo or something like that, you want space. So that's the other kind of buyer. And then the last kind of property we like to focus on is large mini ranches or even larger properties in the rural areas, but in the rural areas that are attractive. So not the middle of nowhere, pure desert where nothing is out there, but actually some rural areas where there's little towns close by, where there's lake close by and things like that. And there's tons of area around the country where that is the case. Why is that interesting? Typically, these areas are about between one and three hours away from big cities so that the people in big cities, multi-million people cities, they're like, again, the same thing. They're selling to the RV, ATV and dirt bike kind of crowd. The people are like the hiking, the camping, the biking, the four-wheeling, those kind of things. They want to get like Friday afternoon. They get start early. They get done at 3 p.m. They drop their thing. They drive home. Everything is packed. They take their RV out for the weekend and just go have fun on that. And cooler fun to have than have your own 20 or 40-acre ranch out there somewhere, right? They don't mind driving from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. to get set up on their ranch, have a barbecue, do it on the next day, dirt bike all around or quad or shoot bow and arrow or go to the lake close by and kayak and hike and those kind of things. And on Sunday night, they come back fulfilled from the weekend, and then they go slave away at the job for the rest of the week. Those people have money, and a lot of these properties also are being paid cash. So those are kind of three properties we go after. Infilots are in the path of growth and the large acreage in rural areas, and our buyers are the builders and the financial guys for the infilots. Potentially, if it's close to the city, the financial guy, or if not, the future retiree or just people that want to have more space. And lastly, for the large mini ranches, as we call them, it's the recreational buyer, as we're calling them. And the nice part is that these lots are already, these three properties, they have millions of these buyers already lined up. There's websites with 2.7 million visitors only dedicated to land and you being able to sell the land and where 2.0 million buyers are coming every single month looking at these properties. So is that something that you guys do? You guys get the property under contract and you put that listing on those websites to just try to sell it? Exactly right. Exactly. We don't usually buy them right away. We put them on a contract. We have, because we're also, we're dealing, here's an important thing. We're dealing with people that bought these properties 10, 20, 30 years ago or inherited these properties. 
and they don't want to have them anymore. They bought them when they wanted to have plans to put their retirement home there. They bought them when they had plans to, I don't know, when they used them also. When they had 40 acres, they used them to dirt bike and stuff. But now they're not 35 anymore or so. They're now 55, 60, 65. And they're like, ah, I don't want to go break my bones anymore dirt biking, right? So they're like, what do we do with this thing now? And what happens with these pieces of land, they come with property taxes, and they're not bringing them cash flow. So after a while, they're like, you know what? I don't really want this thing anymore. Perhaps uh, particularly if they inherited them, we buy a lot of properties that, that people have inherited. They're like, great. I, my dad is giving me something great. And then it's a land that sucks out more money out of their pocket in forms of property taxes. And they're like, I don't want that. So you offer them a token payment for that, 10, 20, 30, 25% of market value. And they're like, yeah, I'll take that any time of the day. So we're looking not for the motivated sellers, we're looking for the non-wanters, for the people who just don't want their properties anymore. And we have developed a method to actually find them. And then with that said, when you contact these guys, they are willing to give you those properties for nothing. And they are not in a rush to close either. So one of the things that is very different to the housing world is that in the house flipping world, the name of the game is like, hey, we buy your house in seven days or less, Right. That's kind of like the pitch that the house flippers do. We get, send our sellers an offer, which, by the way, we only make offers once a week because there's no rush. They're not being offered by 10 other people because nobody does that. I mean, very few people do that. It's like the best hidden secret in real estate. So when we make them an offer in writing, we put a close of escrow of six months down the road on there. So we have a full six months to market that property before we even have to buy it. And the best of it, we don't even have to buy it because our contract has a provision in there that says that we as buyers can back out of the contract anytime for any reason. So in other words, we have now half a year to find a buyer for that property. And if in the rare cases that we still don't find a buyer in that time period, we can just back out of the contract because perhaps it was just a bad property at that time. Fine. So we never put any money on risk. We also don't ever put any escrow deposits down. There's no law in the country that says when you sign a contract with somebody that you need to put an escrow deposit down. So we're making as many offers as we want with no escrow deposits, half a year close of escrow time, and the ability to back out of the contract anytime for any reason, which puts us in an amazing position to make these offers. And once we get them accepted, then we market them exactly on these websites. And we like, for example, landwatch.com. We like Craigslist, for example. We like Zillow. And we like, for example, one of our favorite places is Facebook Marketplace these days. Facebook Marketplace is really fantastic. There's lots of buyers there. And also Facebook groups are great because there's Facebook groups about every subject in the world, including regional groups that where people are looking for land. The regional, regional wholesale real estate groups, regional this and that groups that are just there to basically sell stuff to each other. And so usually if you put your listing back together in a good format, which we specialize on, then these properties sell anywhere between a few days and a few weeks. That's awesome. And it's pretty cool that you're able to top a property for six months with no EMD. Right. Yeah. So how do you evaluate a deal and how do you know what to offer a seller? Okay. So we evaluate the deal the following way. There's actually five different ways that we use if needed to value a property. Now, we don't usually use all five. Usually, we're done with one or two of them. But there are some situations sometimes where with one or two, or with the first two that we like to use, you don't yet get to the result that you want to get. So here's how we do it. Number one, the easiest way to get to a value for property is the exact same way as with houses, sold comparables. Zillow, many other websites nowadays bring a show you on their website 
uh, you can switch. You can say what kind of properties you're interested in. You say land. The last six months to a year. The nice part is land. The land movement is a little bit slower than houses. So therefore, you can go a little bit further back in the history. You can uh, comparable that's a year ago is just fine in our world. For two reasons. Number one is that land is a little slower. But number two is that also when you make offers of 15 or 20 cents on a dollar, you can afford to be wrong in the assessed in the market value by quite a bit and still make money. So we mainly want to look back usually about a year, max two years to see what has sold in the area. And then we look at uh, sold comparables. So we see if I have a two acre parcel in a certain area, and there's five other two acre parcels that in the last six months sold for between 30 and $35,000, I'm done. I got my value. And I don't really need to care if it's 30 or $35,000 because if the property value is $30,000, then I might offer $4,500 for the property or let's say $3,500 for other property. And if the property's value is $35,000, I'm going to offer $4,000 for the property. So my offer varies by 500 bucks based on that. Not a whole lot. So either way, either I'm in the ballpark or I'm not in the ballpark, right? Either they're going to say yes, or they're going to call me back to negotiate perhaps for a little bit, or they're going to say no. It's very easy. So therefore, the second way we do a value analysis is by actually looking at the assessed value. In most states, there's a relationship between assessed value and market value. And Sean, you're in California, right? That's right, Bay Area. So you're the exception. California is the only place in the country where the assessed value doesn't really mean much in relation to market value. But all over the country, because of Proposition 13, that basically locks down the assessed value at the level of the last purchase price, and then it sits there, or it can only very slightly go up. So you have an area like the Bay Area where prices have exploded in the last, let's say, 30 years, generally speaking, and then off and on, but uh, even in the last 10 years, it's exploded. If somebody bought a property for $100,000 10 years ago, it's probably assessed at $110,000 now, even though it's worth $3 million now. Right? But other than that, in the rest of the United States, there is a clear relationship between assessed value and market value. It's not always reliable, but it's an indicator. So, for example, let's say in that same area, like, for example, in Arkansas that or in Florida, the assessed value is typically about 85 to 90% of market value. In Arkansas, on the contrary, the assessed value is only 20% of market value. In Denver, it's close to market value. In Arizona, it's two-thirds of market value. So you got to figure, if you go into an area, into a county or into a state, one of the first things you want to find out is what is that ratio? And there's a few ways of figuring that out. But you can simply want to call the county and ask them. But then once you know that, in that same area that I just did the example, where there's like five sold properties, all the thirty to $35,000, well, then we're done. But I can still do a double check. And I can see, let's say, if I know that in that area, the market value of the properties, let's say that's Florida. If I look at the assessed value of these properties and I see that they're all assessed at between twenty-eight dollars and $33,000, then I know that this makes sense, Right. Because assessed value is now 90% of market value, and my not market value, where we know because we have sold comparables, is thirty to $35,000. Great. We're done. We, we don't need to do anything else. Now, there's a few other ones. You can use listed property values or list prices for your comparables, except for you have to subtract a little bit. Because if something is listed at $40,000, it's probably not going to sell at 40, selling more like at 35 or 33 or so. So you subtract a little bit. 
if you're in a rural areas, you got to use sometimes adjust for size, right? You look at a smaller property typically in the rural area sells for more per acre than a large property. So you can adjust for that. And then last but not least for the infill lots, for the lots in the city where there's 35 houses, one empty lot, you go by the value of the house. So if the average area sells for $400,000, the value of the land is usually 25% of market value. So that piece of land is probably worth 20 to 25%. So that piece of land is probably, that lot is probably worth 80 to $100,000. So it's very simple. Once you know if it's an infilot, you use that. If it's a rural area, use that. If it's somewhere in the outskirts of town, you use something else. And you always can use combinations of them. But after you get used to that, it takes like, a minute or two to find the value of the property. Yeah, that's great. I think another good thing would probably be to go on the website that you were mentioning and just saying what are lots on that website selling for. That's exactly right. That's part of the comparables. And if you see that nothing, if there's no solds, sold information, then you look at what are they listed at? What are they listed? What are, so in that same area, chances are if there's five properties that sold for $35,000, the chances are that if I switch on Zillow to the listed view, and see what our properties listed at, that they're probably listed at between forty dollars and $45,000. And if I see that, it makes perfect sense because if something listed at forty, dollars it'll sell at thirty-five. dollars If something listed at so thirty-five, thirty-three, dollars which is exactly where we are. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And how are you able to tie it up for six months? Aren't the sellers like kind of curious why it takes you so long to close on like a $3,500 property? Mostly they don't ask. If they ask, the answer is very simple. The answer is the truth. And the truth is particularly right now, I don't know when we are going to broadcast, when you're broadcasting this interview, but if like you can always, right now it's a, you have the perfect answer, which is like, hey, we're in the middle of the recovery of a pandemic here and everything takes slower. Everyone is half thinner. The counties were closed for a while. The counties are open again, but just everything takes slower. We need extra time. But the other time, even if we're not in times like that, right, which we weren't until like whatever this March, then we can always go and say the following argument, the following argument, hey, we need extra time because we're doing a title search. And if there's a title issue, it takes longer time to figure this out. But dear Mr. Seller, we actually don't plan to wait six months to close on this property. We're closing as fast as we can. In parenthesis to ourselves, we say as soon as we have a buyer, which could be two days from now, right? We close as fast as we can. We just want to be able to have enough time to make sure that any eventualities are covered without me having to come back to you and ask for an extension. Is that okay? They're like, yeah, I guess so. I'm fine. I've sat on the property for 20 years. Another half a year is not going to hurt. And that's the attitude. That's why I said earlier that what we're focused on is on the non-wanters because the non-wanters are really the ones that they don't care. They've had it for 20, 30 years. They ask their kids, hey, kids, do you want this property? And they're like, nah, we don't want it. It's like, okay, well then, then great. Then I accept this offer here and it's fine. If you guys take half a year, a year, take whatever time you need. I'm not in a rush. Yeah. It's so interesting because like you're saying, when we're buying homes to flip, we are looking for those motivated sellers who are willing to sell us at a discount. And you're looking for people who don't even want the property to begin with. So how do you even find people who are like that? Right. So we find them by using direct mail. But the key to this is also the fact that there's so many non-wanters is that actually most of these properties in the $150,000, $200,000 below range are actually owned completely free and clear because banks actually don't lend on land. If you look at the three kinds of properties that are described that we're focusing on, right? The infill lots, 
you can get bank lending on an infill lot if you promise to build right away and so on and get a construction loan on it. You cannot usually get lending on a property that's 15 minutes outside of the last development or 10 minutes or in five minutes because the utilities are usually not there yet or perhaps water, perhaps electricity is there, but water sewer is probably not there yet. It's more of a longer term big game. People do a septic tank and a well and get the electricity pulled in and they are fully completely fine with that, right? But banks usually don't lend on land that is not already fully improved. In other words, it doesn't have yet underground water, sewer, and electricity and things like that. So most of the land that is in the outskirts of town or in rural areas doesn't have that. So by definition, banks don't lend on it. By definition, these properties are free and clear. Perhaps they bought it also with a seller financing kind of deal, paid it off 30 years ago, and have been sitting on of them yet. So to them, the money is a sunk cost. They already paid it many, many years ago. They're not even looking to get their money back. They just want to get out of the burden of property ownership, of the burden of property ownership, and out of the burden of property tax payments that are due every single year. So they usually don't owe property taxes. They just can't stand when that tax bill comes in. They're like, hey, you owe us another $267. They're like, I don't want to pay this thing. I can't pay it, but I don't want to pay it. And they just don't want to do this anymore. Now, how we find them? We actually figured out what criteria, what characteristics people have that have these kind of properties. And we have developed ways that we go to the county or to data services, get the list of the data, filter it down by a few criteria that we have, and then we go send them a direct mail piece, like a letter. The thing is that our letter, for two reasons, number one, our letter has been split tested so many times that it's like we have not been able to make it even better right now for, for years. We've been trying things again and again, and every time it wins over the control. When you send like 500 letters here, 500 letters there, you get responses here, responses there. You look at which letter got more responses. Our letter always consistently gets the most responses. And how much responses are we getting? We're getting on average between a 3 and a 15% response rate on these letters, which again, if you do direct mail, you know, in a house area, that is about 3 to 15 times higher than what house flippers get. And there's nothing wrong with house flipping, by the way. I love We have in our portfolio of 40, 40 rental houses. We have a portfolio of over 400 rental units. We have apartment complexes. We have commercial property. But what we have done, all the money needed to buy these things has been generated by our land flipping. So the land flipping has become our cash machine and our cash flow machine through the seller financing deals to buy all the cash, all the additional passive cash flow assets that we now own. And a lot of that portfolio is actually free and clear so that nobody can ever take it away from us. And so we just get nice cash flow from that. But back to your question, we had developed this letter. So we sent them out the letters. But when you get a three to 15% response rate, you don't need to send out 20,000 mail pieces. Like, one of our students, he was a house flipper and struggled in house flipping, switched over to us and applied, I think, $5,000 to mailers. The next month, he had 40 deals under contract. Wow. I mean, that's a little unusual, but not that unusual because he basically spent something like seven, 8,000 letters and he got just like deal after deal after deal after deal in. And some of them were smaller deals, but some of them were also like thirty, fifty thousand dollars deals. And now he does like over a hundred deals a year after fine-tuning his system a little bit for honing in on the deals that he truly wants to do. So we send out letters, they call us back, we automate most of the service. We have a mailing house that sends out the letter, we have an arrangement with a call center that takes the phone calls. We have a virtual assistant that helps us evaluate the properties, 
We have the same person also helps us get the listings out once they're accepted. Basically, anyone can do everything alone, everything themselves, or outsource literally 99% of the entire process. That's amazing. And is there a place that we can find how you're able to get this list in the first place and how you're able to or in your letter as well, or is it all kind of like proprietary information? No, I mean, it is proprietary information. We'd have our copyright on it but and our intellectual property, but we have been teaching this now for 11 years, and we have taken hundreds of people to six and seven figures. As a matter of fact, we're on a mission to create 1,000 millionaires out there because we could stop working any moment and just relax. But hey, I'm 49 years old. I'm still in the first half of my life in my mind. So we have made it our mission to basically give back to to the world and teach the world and create the thousand millionaires. And so in that process, we have created home study courses and coaching and things like that. And even a CRM that helps a deal management that takes 80% of the work away from and automates a lot of pieces. And people can find out or you can find out more about that on www.landprofitfun.com. Fun like having fun. F-U-N, like, because it's fun, right? Landprofitfund.com. Very nice. Do you want to talk a little bit more about the specifics about your program, like what you guys teach, how long is, like, I guess a coaching program is and how much it costs? Sure. Yeah, I also have a podcast, by the way. I have my own podcast called the Forever Cash Live because at the end of the day, we love, love, love land flipping, but it's a method. It's a means to an end. And the means is it's our cash machine that helps us generate We went from zero to a million dollars in 18 months using this business and coming from nothing. My dad's a high school teacher, does makes the same money that high school teachers make here, which is not much. And then we've now built this into whatever, a little mini legacy play in our empire here. But the point is we have a podcast called Forever Cash Live where we talk about that and where I just recorded an episode again with exactly the steps about the land flipping and so on. And then also we have a Facebook group called Land Profit Generator real estate group where a lot of our students hang out and help each other become even more successful. So what we teach is exactly what you talked to you about. It's just that it's a step-by-step process. Whether people take the coaching program or the home study course, it's a video-based look over your shoulder home study course. And it's a video-based live session with a one-on-one coach kind of thing program that teaches you A to Z exactly how to find these deals. We start out actually with an interesting approach, which is we start out by showing our students, how they can select the areas from the point of view of where are already properties selling. Because there is such thing like like bad areas in the United States. There's areas where there's where you can buy properties as many as you want for a hundred bucks a piece, but they're only worth fifteen hundred dollars a piece. And there's a thousand for sale and one of that one of them a year sells. That's not the areas we're in. We don't want to invest in junk land. We don't want to invest in areas where nobody's buying. So the very first step we teach our students is, number one, how do you select areas where sales already are happening, where enough sales are happening that you know that you have a buyer group already waiting to buy, and then, but where at the same time, where is enough land is available that you can go and buy this. And you don't have to do this in your hometown, by the way. We have people from Germany right now doing deals in the U.S. One of our coaching students from Germany just last week done four deals making a total of $26,000 on those deals just from smaller deals, but from Germany without literally having, I mean, he's been to the U.S. before, but that's been months and months ago. So without even being in the United States, they do deals in the United States all over the place. So the first thing we teach you, focus on the area where you can sell the properties quickly, yet where there's enough available. 
Then we saw focus on how to pick these areas, how to select the lists, how to send the letter, how to automate that of the mailing house, how to automate this with a call center, or how to take the letters yourself. So our letters, our our call scripts, our everything is in there. It's an exact copy of everything we do in our business. Like I have a new, I have a document sitting right here on my desk. I mean, you can't see it, but right on my desk, which is a new legal agreement that we have reworked based on some recent changes and some laws. We have that rework. It's going to go into use on our own business next week. And the exact same week, it's going to go into our program so that our students can use the exact same thing that we just paid on attorney $4,500 for. So those are kind of the things. And then on the selling side, we teach you exactly. So once you have another contract, great. Now the buying is done because you actually don't need to buy them. But even there, we show you if you want to buy them, we show you how to buy them or how to save money on the title insurance costs, how to double close, how to assign, how to do all those different things. And then on the selling side, we talk about, again, how to assign and those kind of things. But then mostly the most important part on the selling side is how to put your listing in a way together that it stands head and shoulder and miles above any other competing uh, listing. Because if you look into Zillow anytime, you just look for land, you'll be shocked how just horrible these pieces of these listings are over there. They basically consist out of like a picture of some shrubs and then a picture that's usually either a picture of some shrubs, which means that actually that was a Google Street View picture. So they didn't even go out the realtor and it's a realtor that lists it. They didn't even go outside, uh, go to the property themselves to take some better pictures. And then there's a two-liner. It says, this property is currently available for sale. Build your dream house here. And that's what they expect will do the sale. But that's not generating anything. Anyone listening to this is like, I had to probably yawn in that moment when I just said that. So the way we set up our listing is that we grab pictures of what's fun around, of what's interesting around. We tailor our listing to our perfect buyer. If our perfect buyer is an ATV, RV kind of guy, we're going to show them what they can do in the area. Is there kind of a hunting? Is there ability to hunt close by? Is there a lake close by? Is there a, a little town close by where they can refill their tanks with gas? Is there like some uh, little town, perhaps a grocery store close by? And so on and so forth. Then we show pictures of that. We describe it like that. If the if our perfect buyer is a future retiree, we're going to talk about where the closest hospital is. Because if you're in the 70s and you're retiring, you're wondering where the medical services are. That's on your mind, right? So we actually just like tailor our listings, which is super easy. You just got to think about it logically and follow our steps. And we tailor that in the description. We tailor that in the pictures, how we show them the sequence of the pictures, which is very, very easy to get them. Yet nobody out there does that. But as a result, we are telling a story with our listing that actually gets people sucked in and gets people interested and engaged. And everyone else just shows a picture of a bunch of brush of a few trees or a bunch of like hedges or just a bunch of dirt and says this property is currently available. So that's what makes our property sell so quickly. And yes, that's all included in the program, of course, yes. That's great. You know, I wish I had this conversation with you six months ago because six months ago, I actually had an inquiry from someone who wanted to sell their property. And like you said, they are not super motivated sellers. They don't need the money per se. This guy was an engineer manager. I think he was making at least $200,000 a year on his day job. But every single year, he had to pay property taxes on this piece of land, maybe an hour and a half from the Bay Area. And he just didn't want it anymore. And he bought it for, I think, $15,000 back in 2004. And he was willing to sell it to us for $4,000. So he's really willing to take a loss. 
But when we looked at the deal, we said 4,000 for us is nothing, right? Buy it, who cares? But then talking to contractors who are over there, they're saying that, you know, it needs a septic, it needs a well, like you have to do new construction. It's going to cost 250000 The numbers just didn't make sense anymore to do it as a rental. But maybe if we looked at it in terms of like a land flip or land wholesale, we could have made some money on the deal. Right, because somebody else in that neighborhood just needs a place to park his RV. They're not even going to build a house on it, potentially. They live perhaps a few blocks over, lots over, and just once, by, once or perhaps they want to have a lot that they can bound the road, build something on for their kids. Or perhaps mobile homes were allowed. And then it's like, yes, you still need to put the septic system in place. You still need to put a couple of things in place. But then for 40, 50 grand, you have a mobile home in place on the property and you have a dignified retirement. So there's so many, yes, you left some money on the table on that deal. You could have probably easily sold that property for a quick 10 grand. First of all, you could have probably gotten it for three, but then you could have, or 2,500, and then you could have sold it for like 10 on a quick cash sale. It's not that much money, but it's a quick $6,000. Or you could have sold it for $15,000, probably with a $2,500 down payment and monthly payments of 250 for the next three, four, five years, and probably made a total of 20 grand out of it. That totally would have been possible. And that's again, you can, in our method, you can target the $5,000 properties. Or you can target the $200,000 properties and the $5,000 properties, you make $25,000, $3,000, which we no longer focus on because that's just not enough money for me to spend a lot of effort on. Or you can do a $200,000 deal that you put under contract for 80 grand, but sell for 130 and you make 50 grand. And that actually often sells quicker than the $5,000 deal because again, it's an attractive property that you can do a bunch of things with it. So yes, definitely those deals are out there all the time. Do you ever do any deals where you just hold on to some property and you wait those 10 years before you do some massive development on the property? I do without the development part. I'm not a developer. I have no bone in my body tells me that I need to become a developer. I have no interest in that, but I'm doing land banking on a few lots. So exactly. There's like, when you start doing this business, you start getting information from sellers you're starting to get information from buyers. You start accumulating information when you do research on these properties. You find out certain areas where there's a lot of growth going on and where a lot of things are happening. So at the beginning, we came with absolutely nothing. We had $3,500 to our name and we needed to catapult that into as much like we first goal was to quit our job and then it was like to become millionaires and then it was like to build legacy wealth and so on. But we didn't just come out like, yes, let's build all these things from nothing which is first, you go step by step. But then, so at the beginning, we had to sell every piece of land that we got on the contract, no matter what its potential was, because we needed the money. But as we build up a nice buffer of cash, of reserves, of cash flow, of investments and things like that, we're like, hey, we don't need to sell every piece of land anymore. So for example, one area outside of Phoenix, Arizona, where I live, where there's always going on, Phoenix, Phoenix, Denver, Dallas, Atlanta, they're always kind of like fighting for which is the fastest growing city in the country. Seattle sometimes and comes into the gay play. So I know the area and I know that there's like Bill Gates bought 20,000 acres. So there's an investor in a company that bought 20,000 acres. They're going to put like a smart city there. Another a group of investors bought 80,000 acres. Together, they're going to put houses for 400,000 people on there. They already broken ground on it. And I found this area just north of that that is all five-acre parcels that I could pick up for an average between $3,500 and $7,000 a piece for five acres. 
They're only worth currently between like twenty and forty thousand dollars, but it's still a good bargain. But I bought fifteen of them like over the time. Like every time I come across one, I'll just buy it and I keep it because I know another ten, fifteen years when all of that area has been built up, they're bringing another interstate between Vegas and Phoenix and so on. So it's truly in the path of growth. There's lots of development going on, lots of streets being built, lots of things being done, and we're just a few miles north of that which is unaffected by that yet, but it's only going to be a matter of 10, 15 years. And at that time, these properties that I paid perhaps an average of $4,000 for, they're currently worth perhaps an average of $25,000. They're going to be worth probably $250,000 a piece, and I own 15 of them. So right there, that's almost $4 million in value that is just appreciating. And then on top of it, as you do this and as you learn about things, we figured out one thing, and one thing is that when you have such land that's like outside of town that is like rural, you can engage in a grazing lease with a local farmer so that they let their cows graze on your property and they submit it to the county for you. And because of that, the use of it gets reclassified as agricultural and your property taxes go from like $400 a year per property, meaning like at 15, that's $6,000 a year down to about 10 bucks a property. So now I have $150 in property tax bills to pay for the next 15 years each year. So I'm basically looking at under $2,000 of property tax and holding costs on these properties. And down the road, they're going to be potentially worth the three and a half to $4 million. That's crazy. Are you going to do any like subdivision at all? Or are you just going to leave it as is and let the developer take care of it? No, so I'm going to leave it as And even then later on, I'm just going to sell it to a developer at that point of time. I'm not into development. I'm just sitting on them and letting them appreciate the first ones when I bought them were only worth like 8000 Now they're worth twenty five. The last ones when I bought them, I bought them for six or seven. Now they're worth like in a better area, they're worth like $35,000, $40,000. I'm not moving them. I'm not selling them. I'm just going to sell them at once at some point of time to a developer and have them do whatever they need to do. They can jump through those bureaucratic hurdles. Just the thought of working with a county on rezoning and all kinds of stuff, not going to do that. I'm happy just flipping and making my money that way and using that money and then buying rental properties, apartment complexes, and those kind of things. Awesome. Well, Jack, this has been a great conversation, and I definitely learned a lot about land flipping from you today. Do you have any last tips that you'd like to give our listeners before we finish up? Michelle and I, my wife and I, is my co-founder and co-partner and partner in this. The main reason we were successful in real estate is that we tackled real estate at the complexity level that we could handle at the time. We tried house flipping and we couldn't get it done because we knew nothing about American real estate and how you estimate repairs and fix stuff and that and all this kind of stuff. But in land, we realized that we don't really need to know a whole bunch to start out. Now you learn a whole bunch. You create, a, you create your own PhD in making money, right? But you learn a whole bunch in the process, but we didn't have to know a whole lot. And also I was traveling back then. I had a job that got me my green card in the United States. I was always legal in the country. I was making sure I say that. I had a job that I was traveling 100%, and so I couldn't get into rehabs where I had to supervise crews or so. I couldn't get into do-it-yourself or anything like that. I had to figure out a method uh, that, or find a method that would allow us to do our deals from anywhere in the country. And when we came across land flipping and developed our own method for that, that really nobody else is teaching or was teaching, then all of a sudden things started popping. And the reason I was because I matched the technique to my needs and my abilities in the moment. A lot of people go say like, I want to learn this, but 
they have such a stressful job that they never get to learn this. They never have the time. They never get to spend the time, the effort, the, the educational things on there to learn it. So they never get there. They give up half of the way. So the secret to our success was tackle something that we could actually wrap our arms around and actually do in spite of me working 70, 80 hours a week, somewhere traveling somewhere else every few weeks and being gone all week long. If that is helpful to one or the other listener, that might be my main message. That makes sense. Don't bite off more than what you can chew. Right, exactly. I mean, there's always like, I'm all in favor of like stretching. But if you put your stretch goal out so in an area that either you can be hurt so bad, because we did, we tried to do one wholesale deal and we failed in the house side. And then we almost bought that property. And thank God we didn't because with our lack of knowledge, we would have been literally losing our shirt on that deal. Instead, what we did is we freaked out and backed out of the deal and just ran screaming the other way around. But 400 bucks for a piece of land, I can do that, right? And then figuring things out, that was the stretch. The stretch wasn't the money. The stretch was the learning thing. And even there, we kept it fairly simple. Yeah. Well, Jack, thank you so much for being on the show today. How can people get in contact with you? All right. As I mentioned, the easiest way is to go to our Facebook group, Land Profit Generator Real Estate Investing Group. I'm on Facebook. You can DM me on Facebook. You can say hello. I answer my own texts and my own direct messages. Then also I have my own podcast. Again, the Forever Cash Life Real Estate Podcast with Jack and Michelle Bosch. And then I have also, as I said, you can go to www.landprofitfun.com and check out there. There's some videos and training sessions and stuff that you can watch there. Perfect. All right, Jack. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. Cool. Take care. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Land flipping is very unique. You don't need to worry about removing existing tenants or worrying about deferred maintenance and repairs. The owners typically own them free and clear since they're non-financeable and they typically don't even want them. So this lets you acquire these properties for pennies on the dollar and the ability to tie them up for months while you market the property to sell. Since these properties are not highly desired, you can take your time and get away with putting very little money down as a deposit. So it virtually eliminates any risk that you might have. If you want to learn more about the strategy and about Jack Bosch, check out his website, jackbosch.com and his podcast, Forever Cash Life Real Estate Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.